0: Listener production hello welcome to the briefing it is Monday May 9 Tom Tilley back with you after a book launch week and thank you to so many of you for your reactions to our interview last week it was um, yeah a real experience to open up so much in the media about my backstory but some incredible responses. Today, Katrina Blowers, you and Annika are looking into uh, political advertising on social media.
1: Yeah, we certainly are. It's so good to have you back, by the way, Tom. A lot of people are using social media as their main source of news. In fact, a recent study found that for under 25s, it's more than half. So that is why Google, Twitter, gaming apps, even dating apps like Grindr are being targeted by politicians and wannabe politicians in this campaign
2: they're kind of fishing where the fish are. They're speaking authentically to their core audience and and people who are kind of like them. Yeah, so in
0: today's briefing, we're going to find out how you're being targeted by political campaigns on social media. First, here are the headlines.
1: The second leaders' debate of the election campaign has ended in a draw. Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison facing off on nine overnight over a range of issues, including wages, young people, the NDIS, housing, women, aged care, the Solomon Islands, and of course, COVID.
0: Yeah, I watched it and uh, it was a bit of a mess because there haven't been a lot of big policy decisions uh, this election campaign. It was a lot of just. Scrapping back and forth on cost of living and things that they can't really control. Um, Here's one of the blows landed by
1: Anthony Albanese. The cost of living measures that he spoke about are all temporary. They have all the sincerity of a fake tan. (laughs) You know what? That's not a bad line. He's used it a few times though already. That's the problem (laughs) with that one. While Scott Morrison has accused Albanese of not releasing his plans to create a National Integrity Commission.
3: Three this year, years, if we're elected. You've
0: been hiding in the bushes, uh, Small target. Hiding in the bushes, yes. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I guess with the dearth of ideas, it then comes down to sort of a character assassination as well. And um, the Prime Minister copped a, a grilling on that one with one question referencing how Even his own side of politics have called him a hypocrite, a liar and a horrible person. Here's how he responded.
3: And when I became Prime Minister, our party
0: needed to be united. And that's what I've done. We haven't seen uh, the revolving door under my leadership. No, just the knives in the back.
1: Yeah, and uh, the pair also grew pretty heated when it came to energy policy and the climate. Here's the PM on why he won't set a bigger target for 2030. No,
3: I won't increase the No, you will even though target. you say it'll be higher. I won't, I won't increase it. Because Barnaby Joyce won't let you. No, no, because I think it's the wrong policy.
0: That's why. But, but you say I don't you'll want to achieve coal better than 26 to, to 28. I don't want to people's
3: businesses and I don't want to put up people's electricity so you won't.
0: OK, so, yeah, that's enough of the debate. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not particularly edifying. Um The polling is getting kind of interesting, though, and obviously we don't want to put too much store in it given they were wrong last time. Um, But the News Corp poll in the Australian today has Labour pulling further ahead by just a point, but that puts them at 54 to 46 on a two-party preferred basis.
1: An Ipsos poll in today's Australian Fin Review has Labor further ahead at 57.43. So that polling suggests last week's interest rate rise is hurting the coalition's chances of getting re-elected on May 21, which is now less than two weeks away. Mm, Thank
0: goodness. Meanwhile, Scott Morrison's doubled down on reintroducing the controversial Religious Discrimination Act if he wins government.
1: Morrison has said he would introduce protections for same-sex and transgender students, but only after the Religious Discrimination Act is passed, giving no timeline as to how long that would be.
0: Yeah, so this is what he said when he was asked what he would do to ensure that same-sex and transgender students wouldn't be expelled.
3: The point is, it doesn't happen. The religious schools themselves don't wish to do that.
1: So the background here is that the bill promised at the last election failed to pass the House of Reps earlier this year when five of the coalition's own MPs crossed the floor over the lack of protections for gay and transgender students.
0: Yeah, and so now that the Prime Minister's come out saying that he'll reintroduce the religious bill without those protections attached to it, at least three of those coalition MPs have indicated that they'll cross the floor again so his promise to reintroduce this doesn't really mean much because he's going to end up in the same situation again and we also don't know the balance of power going forward mm. but it doesn't look like if it's a coalition victory that it'll get them into a much bigger majority
1: the ukrainian government says all civilians have now been evacuated from the azovstal steel plant in the besieged city of mariupol
0: So in a deal brokered by the UN and the Red Cross, 300 women, children and elderly people were rescued, although hundreds of Ukrainian fighters are thought to still be inside the plant.
1: The steel mill has now largely been destroyed due to the Russian bombardment. It's also feared that 60 people are dead after a bomb struck a village school in eastern Ukraine.
0: Meanwhile, the G7, which is a group of the world's biggest economies, have put more sanctions on Russia, um, including a pledge to phase out the use of Russian
1: oil. A Beijing loyalist has been named the new leader of Hong Kong following a closed vote where he was the only candidate.
0: So John Lee's appointment is seen as a move by the Chinese government to strengthen its grip on Hong Kong. He's extremely unpopular because he oversaw the violent crackdowns are there in 2019. The protesters were fighting a bill that was going to allow people to be extradited to mainland China, saying it undermined their independence. The bill was later withdrawn, but as we know, China have taken greater control of Hong Kong.
1: Yeah, so Lee came under intense criticism at the time for sanctioning the use of water cannons and rubber bullets, tear gas, uh, even live ammunition to disperse the protesters, but he replaces outgoing Chief Executive Carrie Lam, who has served since 2017. (laughs)
0: And there's a new Doctor Who, Katrina.
1: Yeah, and it's the first black actor to play the character. If you have ever watched Sex Education on Netflix, mm. you'll know him well and you'll probably also love him.
0: Yes, he he probably was the best character on Sex Education. <laughs> um, he played the guy Eric, and that was his name on the series, but his real name is uh, Gatwa.
2: Also really nervous. is an incredibly iconic role and an incredibly iconic show. And I just hope I do it justice. Yeah, so I was reading
1: this morning, Tom, that his background is super unusual, I guess, Rwandan and Scottish. What a good choice, though. Mm. He's got so much charisma. And I think, you know, I haven't actually, I've got to confess, I haven't watched Doctor Who for ages, mm. but i probably turn it on to see what, what kind of, you know, what kind of energy he brings to this new role.
0: Yeah, I would too, actually. I haven't watched it for about 25 years. (laughs) Um, But I think Eric, yeah, he's, he's so different. He's so unique. He's so fun to watch on the screen. And I think he'll bring a whole new generation of viewers across.
1: All right, Annika and I are about to find out why some politicians are advertising on Grindr. Annika Smithhurst, what about this? More than half of anyone born after 1997 apparently uses social media as their main source of news. Oh, you know what? So do I, really, if I'm going to be honest. I (laughs) jump on Twitter if I hear of something breaking. I definitely do jump online if I want to get up to date really quickly. But if you think that scrolling for information is only limited to young people, think again. 10% of Australians aged over 75 say they rely on social media to stay informed. And this is according to a Uni of Canberra study from last year.
3: As you say, we shouldn't be surprised, but also maybe journalism won't be a career in the future at this rate. Look, (laughs) given that this trend is happening, I guess what isn't surprising is that things like Google and Twitter and even Grindr are being targeted by politicians or wannabe politicians to try and get elected in this campaign.
1: We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars being tipped into what's known as micro-targeting swing seats. This is a pretty new phenomenon. It's relatively unregulated and there are some transparency problems. A lot of the time it's really hard to tell when we're being targeted. And it's not
3: just the younger or more progressive candidates doing it. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, for example... He's spent around 80 grand on Facebook ads since April, and that's just to win his own seat. So, is this space ripe for manipulation, and what are the rules in this online world? Joining us is Daniel Angus, a professor of digital communications at the Queensland University of Technology. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Now, after the last election back in 2019, the media copped a lot of heat for not predicting the shock result. And a lot of that came down to the fact we had no idea what was happening online, this sort of meme factories that were working in overdrive. So as people's eyes move from TV screens to smart screens, do we have a better sense this campaign, What's Happening Online?,
2: I think we're still in the dark a little bit. When it was on TV, radio, billboards, newspapers, we had a sense of like a shared viewing or watching and reading experience. Whereas these days, media has become incredibly personalized through our social media feeds. And on top of that, you have now targeted advertising. So, you have even more of that information, that political information delivering itself into the hands of voters that we just don't know about. And so, you're absolutely right, though, that many of us, um, both in academia and civil society and in the news um, business itself, have been scrambling to try and find ways in which we can bring greater transparency back. So we've got a better understanding of what are the the kind of news consumers of Australia hearing and reading around a campaign.
3: And how are these political ads, I guess, targeted? They're not those ones we see on telly where you have that sort of quick disclaimer at the end and they tell us how bad the other mob is. What sort of tricks do they use to, I guess, make people want to look at this stuff?
2: The kinds of ads we're talking about are delivered through the major platforms. So, this is Meta. So, if you're a user of Instagram, Facebook, um, then those are the ads that you'll be getting from them. In terms of Google's ecosystem, it's through things like YouTube, Google Search Indeed itself, um, and Google News products, and indeed, also in the mobile game environment. And these can vary. And they appear and look very much like an organic post that we might just encounter from a friend sharing, say, a photo or something within our feed. So, they're kind of of interweave and interlock themselves in our normal kind of scrolling experience of those platforms.
1: Has there been much research done around how effective these ads are in that environment? Because I can imagine that especially during a game, having a political ad pop up would be quite frustrating. But then on the other hand, you can, I suppose, target your audiences much more specifically.
2: So a lot of it is misconstrued as advertising is trying to win your vote. A lot of the time it's, it's not about winning a vote. it may be about setting an agenda. So setting out frames and agendas that the news media themselves might pick up so the journalists might then use as ways of lines of questioning. And it could be quite deliberate to try and move a campaign and that the kind of pulse of a campaign and topics that are discussed into territory that say more in your favor. So an actual practical example of this in this campaign is that the coalition are driving really hard around this concept of the economy. And we see that in a lot of their ads to date is these keywords of economy. And they're trying to frame the debate in an area that they believe um, and that certainly voters believe, they have more credibility. It's an interesting one because objectively, they don't. Many leading economists have shown that, in fact, the the coalition tax more um, have done a pretty awful job by many standards in managing the economy. However, traditionally, they're seen as being stronger on the economy, so they feel it's kind of safe ground. So, look beyond, I think, the ad itself is trying to persuade, rather is trying to set an agenda and some ideas in in people's minds of what they're going to discuss.
1: Is it still cheaper to advertise online?
2: Look, it depends on how you're using it. You can dump as you know, significant amounts of cash into online advertising commensurate with what you might have been spending on more traditional forms like billboards or newspaper advertising, television spots. But the difference is the barrier for entry and also the speed. So, you can buy up online advertising and target it specifically into the hands of potential voters in your electorate a lot cheaper. And you can do it very, very quickly as well. You can choose to boost that content for very, very little. We're talking, you know, tens of dollars, maybe just, you know, up to a hundred dollars or such. And you can get that into the hands of thousands more potential voters within your electorate. And so that's what makes it appealing is that low barrier for entry for online ads.
1: We know that uh, Josh Frydenberg's on Facebook, but talk to us about who's on Grindr. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the seat of Brisbane, uh, we have a contest between the incumbent Liberal, Trevor Evans, and uh, the Greens candidate, Stephen Bates, both of which are openly gay candidates. Now, what's interesting here in that last kind of weeks of, of Parliament, with a lot of the controversy around some of the, the human rights um, issues and, and human rights protections, Trevor Evans himself failing to cross the floor, I think the, the Greens team are kind of sensing maybe that that's an issue that they can go after. They've got in their own candidate, an open gay candidate, um, and he's decided to use and lean into his authentic identity and advertise to people like himself who might be using platforms like Grindr. These are examples where, yeah, they're kind of fishing where the fish are, like they're, they're speaking authentically to their core audience and and people who are kind of like them.
3: Now, we know negative advertising is more effective than positive advertising, telling people all the good stuff you're doing. How are the different parties actually using their campaign dollars online? Are they going for the negative or are they using it to sort of spruik what they're doing, the good stuff?
2: Yeah, there's a bit of both. It's interesting here what I've been seeing in terms of how they're using their different pages. So most of the parties have like a kind of a high level page. That's a kind of main um, party page. And then they'll all have their own candidate pages. And so in the case of, for example, Labour Party, what I'm noticing is that the Labour Party accounts, so that the larger party account is advertising a lot of policy, a lot of real kind of positively framed policy agenda setting work. And it is very much around those issues that are traditionally kind of Labor heartland. So, things around health, education, aged care, these these things. It's the candidates then that are perhaps going more after the attack ads themselves. So, I've seen a lot that target directly at Scott Morrison. The Labor candidates bringing Scott Morrison out front and centre within their materials because I think they believe that, yeah, he is himself as a personality, toxic in this election. And so they want to remind voters, this this is who you're voting for. If you're voting for a Liberal candidate in your seat, you're voting for Scott Morrison. And look, the same is true the other way. The Liberal candidates are going straight after Anthony Albanese. And so they're kind of you know projecting him as and depicting him as a clown and, and someone who is untrustworthy or is somewhat dumb. And so they're kind of framing him as kind of equally incompetent in the same way that Labor are framing Scott Morrison as incompetent. So we're seeing that kind of play out there. But I think that distinction between the the kind of party level page and the individual candidates is interesting as a strategy.
1: Finally, Daniel, influencers are being forced to declare their partnerships now, but do politicians have to declare political messaging online and should they?
2: Yeah, so all of these ads that appear online on the, on the larger platforms, on the platform themselves, have to be declared as political or issue-based advertising. You know, In terms of disclosures in advertising as well, I mean, that's a matter for the AEC, who who very much police that and regulate that. We saw early a uh, case here also in Brisbane. It seems everything is happening in Queensland and Brisbane this election. Pauline Hanson's One Nation candidate um, who had set up a website with no authorised organization, no disclosure on that website. We kind of tipped off some of our colleagues in ABC about this, and it turned out that, yes, it was perhaps... A little bit dodgy and indeed against the rules because the AC were investigating it. One Nation dumped the candidate, and the candidate's now appeared on a joint ticket with Steve Dixon, who's also another ex-One Nation uh, member. That's a classic example of someone who's gone out tried to set something up as like a kind of seemingly grassroots, what we call an astroturfing style campaign, to try and gather people in, but hasn't properly authorised that. And so it seems that the AEC are taking this seriously. And indeed, the platforms themselves uh, have put in stricter rules around who can place political advertising. So we are seeing some tightening up there, which is good for democracy, I think.
3: That was Professor Daniel Angus. Now he's with the Queensland University of Technology. Pretty interesting stuff there, Katrina. It's also not just Mm -hmm. the ads, but the memes you see. In the last election the Liberals, for example, really took advantage of Bill Shorten going out and running every day and made some pretty funny little videos. So it's not always high tech and it's not always, doesn't always look like an ad. It could just be a meme you share. And I've seen a lot of people on my social media sharing those sort of things, not the boring ads we sort of see. So it's a way for people to, I guess,
1: engage in something
3: they usually wouldn't
1: do. Absolutely, and the thing that really got me thinking from that interview was not so much the blatant winning of your vote as it was setting a tone for a conversation or setting an agenda, and that will definitely have me much more, I guess, uh, strategically consuming that type of media next time it pops up on my phone. And tomorrow on The Briefing, we speak with a grieving brother who's been fighting for justice against gay hate crimes for decades.
0: listener.